0: What is the definition of ritual? It's what you do, what you need to do, I suppose. You need to come out and celebrate certain seasons. You need to come out and celebrate someone's birthday. And how we do that differs from one person to the other. People that have a ritual, a community assembly, their life is actually patterned by that. People say, that was a fortnight after such and such. Uh, she had a child nine months after May which is almost inevitable in some places. <laughs> I'm Doc Rowe, and for most of my adult life, I've been documenting and recording British folk traditions. That's music, song, dance, dialect, and seasonal events that certain communities indulge in. I suppose over the years, in detail, I've looked at over 180. I do serial collecting, so I go to the same place, same time, every year if the protagonist have to walk 21 miles which in some case it happens i do that 21 miles as well i think it's important to actually witness the um, agony and distress that some of these characters go through even after nearly 60 years of visiting these places i'm still in awe of, of what people do There are many folk events, if that's what we want to call them, throughout the year, and I attend as many as I can. But one which is particularly personal to me, it started me off looking at all these other events, is Padstow, the Obios Day, May Day in Padstow. It's just part of my year, part of my family, really. I mean, I have messages saying it's only 18 weeks to May Day. Even the word mayday is mayday in Cornwall. It's, it's something that is very distinct. Two of the central characters is, is an obby a hobby horse. There's the old-oss, which is red and black, and the blue-ribbon-oss, or the peace-oss, as it was, is blue and black. There are two-oss parties. There's the blue-ribbon and the old-oss. The Blue Ribbon have decorated the streets the day or two before. They've put up the Maypole. And first thing in the morning, from about 5 o'clock in the morning, the old-arse party decorate the streets with more greenery. So everything is wonderfully green, with the flags fluttering as well.
1: Everybody enjoy their day? Yep. Yeah. Yes. Good job. Going out. Rise up, Martin Rickard, I know you well and fine. And rise up, Sarah Rickard,
0: and go... The actual event begins on the very strike of midnight, the 1st of May.
1: And unite, and unite, for summer is a today.
0: People gather outside a central pub the and they sing a night song. And they go round the community singing to people by name. No drums, no musicians, just the voices of the local people. And this can go on till three, four in the morning sometimes. You hardly get any sleep because at seven o'clock in the morning you're out again. The children's os come out first of all, and then at 10 o'clock the blue ribbon os comes out, and the old os comes out at 11. They just dance through the streets all day they go separate routes but between two and four o'clock in the afternoon they, they will actually meet up together around the maypole and that's where the huge emotional swell happens the tune changes pace to almost a dirge and the OS collapses down on the ground They sing a song, oh where is St George, oh where is he oh, he's out in his long boat, all on the salt sea and there's a cry of os and the renewed beating of the drums and it springs back to life and dances onwards. And it goes on all day until 9.30, 10 o'clock, sometimes later. They sing a very old Crimean war song, very sentimental. Farewell, farewell, my own true love. The emotion really runs high on May Day in Padstow. There's tears of joy and affection, and there's tears of loss as well, because you remember those people that have died during the year. It's a true contemplation of the preceding year and beyond. But the whole place is full of people sobbing because they know we're not going to see the Oss again until the next year. One of the few places I would talk about it being a community. The old, the young, the frail and the active, they all share that same intensity of spirit. It's quite remarkable. It's the most important event of that year. Better than Christmas, it's better than anything. It's not difficult to sense that the the Oss and May Day symbolises much more in Padstow. It's a united proclamation, a kind of clenched fist in the face of ravages of time and the outside influences. I feel that the Osses in Padstow are kind of a, a communal pacemaker and on May Day it recharges that community and brings together the good people of Padstow as a fellowship if you like. Awesome! Just like our Christmas traditions were fashioned to a great extent by Victorian sentimentality, so has the month of May being given a fantastic portrayal of Merry England. And that's been adjusted from the mid-19th century, even through to the present day. Merry England just didn't exist, you know. Suddenly all these rose queens started, May Day festivals all over, particularly the Midlands, you know. By 1904, let's say, 1910, this was what everyone did. And then we had the First World War, which knocked everyone back and raised a lot of that memory. So things were then revived. So they're very modern. I mean, mean, that's not decrying them. That's all part of folklore interest now, is actually looking at these rituals that people are creating and inventing. I mean, I think it's it's very exciting and quite important for the human psyche, really. We, we should cultivate it and, and celebrate it. So
2: we're just walking through the marshes. Looking for a clearing in the trees where it feels like we might be invited in to perform and feel Ah, as a parakeet. Currently, we are in Tottenham Marshes, which is my favourite place to come. Um, I've lived in this area around Tottenham for about five or six years now, and the marshes just feel like a little getaway although you can hear the train track in the background you still have this huge vast expanse of wildlife looking for a space that feels calm and grounded and where there's a nice uh, energetic pull there was a tree over there that looked like it was a opening its arms to invite us in, so maybe we find that
1: place.
2: I'm Aisha Tan Jones, and I'm an artist, musician, and witch. All of my work is rooted in themes of magic, survival, apocalypse, and what I call optimistic dystopia. I watched a lot of the classic witchcraft shows and stuff when I was growing up, I always wanted to replicate that, you know, cast spells. And I would just like sit at the dinner table and like, try and move the spoon with my mind. And my mum would just be like, you can do it, you can do it, and like really support me. And then I started saying, like, Aisha, you know, we're all witches. Like, We are witches, me and you. So that echoed in my head for a while. But then I didn't really truly discover it until I was searching for some sort of like connection and rootedness and groundedness to this land. So. The tools that I've chosen to bring out today uh, for this small ritual are a red candle, a bag of seeds, some red string, and this jar of water, which is moon water. I love to incorporate nature into my rituals. It's really nice to collect bird feathers, herbs, salts, even like to the paper that you're writing on, and my notepad and pen. So, these tools can be used uh, for a kind of self-love embodiment ritual. From a magical perspective, ritual can be used to describe a very intentional ceremonial uh, performance for yourself and for your gods, goddesses, universe, whatever your higher power is, to create a magical outcome. You would use tools, uh, magical tools, esoteric things, mantras chants, song, dance, to give energy to that intention. I would use the pen and paper to write down affirmations. So, what do I love about myself? I love my motivation. I love my singing voice, because I think I've got a pretty great voice. And I love my cooking, because it's getting a lot better, especially since lockdown. And then, On another page, I might write what do I want to improve about myself? Um, My time management. (laughs) My awareness of my boundaries. I think it's really important to like use this language of how can I improve rather than like what do I hate about myself? Because a ritual amplifies what you're giving. It's like you've got a pot of stew and you're putting in spices. If you put a lot of chilli in, you're going to make a really spicy stew. So it's the same with ritual, the words are the spices. In terms of like the actual format of a ritual, I think I move quite intuitively. There are no right and wrong ways to do a ritual, but there are dangerous and careless ways to do a ritual, which may affect you and like, you know, be thrown back in your face. Although I like really encourage people to like, carve out their own way of doing ritual for themselves. The only one rule in witchcraft that I've ever learned, the witch's creed, if it harm none, do as thou wilt. I would repeat three times the things that I love about myself and really put that out into the world and maybe there's one thing in the thing that you want to improve about yourself so for me it might be boundaries and that is an act of self-love like having boundaries uh, for yourself and for others so you could take that word boundaries and I might do something which is called a sigil, which is creating a kind of powerful symbol from that word. So you cross out all of the vowels. So this is kind of like a concentrated version of the word. You can have the B back to front, you can have the N upside down, you can have the S backwards, and you can make it look like it really isn't even a word anymore. It's a sigil. Oftentimes I might um, pick up the candle and start carving my symbols into the candle or or the words that I've written down or just like intuitively carve into it. I like to really get my hands involved. (laughs) Sigils, after you create them, it's really important to charge them with energy. And one way you can do this is carving it into the candle and burning the candle. And once you've carved, This candle is now, it's now your boundary candle, or whatever energy you've chosen to carve into the candle. And then, I'm gonna light the candle. Especially living in these times where where we're increasingly becoming further and further away from nature and, and our anxiety over climate is increasing, Having a sense of grounding and having a a ritual that you can come back to to reconnect is so important and also can help you reconnect with the land and feel like a sense of protection that is symbiotic because if you protect the earth, the earth will protect you. I'm ripping this out of my notebook. As this is something I want to bring more love in, the paper that has the things I love about myself and the things I want to increase, the spices that I want to increase, I'm going to roll this piece of paper towards me. And a side note is We are practicing this ritual underneath the waxing moon, which means the moon is getting bigger. There's gonna be a full moon in a few days. And so when the moon is waxing and growing, it's a perfect time to do rituals that are bringing in things into your life. Whereas when the moon is getting smaller, which is called the waning moon, it's time for letting go. By infusing your life with a little bit of ritual, it adds more intention to the way you're moving through the world and aligns you with what you want and what you need. For me, it's been a way of, like, taking stock and knowing that I can build my own practice, my own way of thinking. You're putting your energy in to receive something out. So it really gives you that sense of, like, authority over your own being. So with our rolled pieces of paper, I'm gonna safely and carefully burn. I'll let the ashes fall to the earth. You're basically wanting to infuse these ashes in a place where they will continue to grow and flourish. So I have some wildflower seeds and I'm going to place them with the ashes in the earth and with my moon water which i brought i'm going to pour a little bit on the earth and on the seeds and just trust that nature will take its course the rains will come and the seeds will flourish along with my intentions for me, ritual can be anything that you do with intention and that you do regularly that feeds you in some way, that feeds your soul. So, you know, an example is people who go to church on Sundays. It's a form of ritual. You know, having a family meal, even cooking that food is like cooking a potion. And then eating that is, is like manifesting energy in, in your bodies and even you know if we watch if anyone watches sports on the TV and teams are doing their pre-game pep talk they even practice manifestation and visualization cuz they visualize themselves winning they visualize themselves beating their opponent and that is all a form of magic
3: My ritual starts the minute I put the kettle on at home to make my flask of tea.
4: You've packed your bag, you get your flask out, you put the hot water in your flask to warm up your flask, you make whatever drink you're going to take with you. And you're ready to go.
3: Everyone is going through something different, whether it's um, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, everyone's coming with their own. They might have just had an argument with their husband or they've dropped their kids at school and they've had a tantrum.
4: And you're driving along... You're thinking, well, who's going to be there? How many of us will there
5: be? It tends to follow the same format round here where you get out your cars, there's all the chatting when you get out the cars and then you'll say, come on, ladies, gentlemen, come on, let's make it to the beach.
3: The relaxation part starts the minute I step onto the beach.
5: When I first started doing this, where people really were saying, are you all right? Are you all right? Or are you mad? But, of course, it's weird. They've just come for a walk with hats, coats, gloves, you know, all of this. They see somebody standing half-naked on a beach. It's like, what are you doing? I am Sean Richardson, and I live here at Pencarnan on the clifftop in the westest of Wales, above Selly Beach. We have a farm here and a campsite, and I am a director of the Blue Tits Chill Swimmers Limited. So it was 2014, September 2014, just after I'd done Ironman um, that we decided to start swimming throughout the winter. There was just something. I don't know whether it was the, the fact that it was the new challenge that got me or whether it was just the thrill of the cold water. Uh, but we carried on throughout the winter. And I realised that actually it was opening up the winter to us. It got to 10 degrees, 9 degrees, 8 degrees. And it was thrilling as the temperature dropped. Uh, just experiencing the whole thing, how we felt. And some people came along and said, I'd like to try cold water swimming. And that's how the blue tits began. My husband said, you should call yourself something. And so we did call ourselves the blue tits. And then two people came along, three, four, five. And now we're up to 11,000 people all around the world that swim under the name of the blue tits. Today, we have gathered here at Penkarnan. Um There's seven or eight of us that have
3: turned up. My name's Liz. Sarah Mullis. Jackie. Gail.
5: Debbie. And we're going to go down to the beach, which is just below Pencarnan land for a swim. So this, this is what goes on now, it can, and it can go on for a ridiculously long time, like on a day-to-day where it's such a beautiful day as well. And it's just what I call, well, I call it bollocks talk, but it's rubbish talk everybody's just chatting we all know what's coming you know that we're, we're it's almost as if we're preparing ourselves even though we're perhaps doing it subconsciously it's the geeing up to go in and at some point somebody will look out to see and somebody will say oh it doesn't look very nice does it or oh it's a bit windy isn't it oh gosh that looks cold today and then, that again is part of the process it's almost again we're
4: we're kind of saying "Oh, what we're doing is kind of really tough <laughs> sometimes you're standing there chatting on the beach and like should we just carry on chatting? Should we not get in the water? So it doesn't matter how long we've been doing this, there's still this, are we really going in? My
3: first swim, I remember getting onto the beach and I remember looking at the sand and thinking there's frost on the sand. Like like I just had a kind of out of body, what am I
4: doing? We do psych ourselves up a bit and we do talk about, oh, why are we doing this? We know it's going to be cold, what makes us do it? And chatter away and... Pretend it's not going to happen. So it's
5: that really weird month where we've, we've done the winter swimming now where it's been cold, you know, five, six, seven degrees, and that's a real challenge. We're in this mucky area of 10, 11 degrees where it's neither cold nor warm. I mean, it's still cold actually. Whereas in the summer, when we go up to 18, 19 degrees here, you really feel it, that difference.
4: And then someone will be at night. Yeah. Right, come on then, let's get in. So are we going in? We're going in. We're doing it. And as soon as someone says, let's get in, everyone like strips off their layers. There's
3: no rocks now, is there?
4: And in we go. <laughs>
3: are we doing it? Yeah, we're doing yeah. it. Let's, we do it. Do let's, it? Do
4: let's do, do it.
5: it. Say that, that nippy north wind today gets you, doesn't it? You know, when it's coming from the north here and you've just got that... Oh! Look at the
4: birds! You, you know it's going to be cold and you know how it's going to feel. I just
5: know what's coming! <laughs> that moment when you go in is oh, it's painful. It bites you. The, the gold is biting your skin.
0: <laughs>
3: as soon as the water hits your toes, that's when your brain starts to go, What are you doing? This is
4: ridiculous don't think it gets any better it's always a bit of a (gasps) when you first get in some people scream some people do the whole (laughs) breathing quite a lot of swearing happens
5: it bites you and your senses then are alive aren't they because it's this real cold shock of water as it creeps up to your knees and you think oh
3: and the last bit is your shoulders going in and it's like
4: oh.
3: there's like the camaraderie of being with a group of people who are all laughing and screaming and squawking as you get in it takes your mind off that initial sort of shock
4: it allows you to actually push your boundaries still staying where you feel comfortable
5: You're moving, you're physically, you know, you're being entertained. You've got the smell of the sea, you've got the sights, you've got the birds, you've got all these wonderful things, nature going around you. You've got your friends around you as well. You've got all of these things which is taking your mind slightly off that real biting cold. Your skin now is cooling really, really rapidly. It takes about two minutes for you to just kind of acclimatise to that water. And then you hear it gets quieter and the silence as people just start to relax into the water. And they go, oh yeah, okay, I'm all right now, I'm all right now.
4: The swearing gets a bit less as you get used to the cold temperature of the water. Suddenly it's like, oh, okay, I feel all right now. I can breathe normally, like your heart rate goes back to normal and you can breathe again. And then you have a bit of a splash around.
1: What's
3: really lovely, the swims that I love, is when you, you find a circle forming and it's kind of people, everyone's just together chatting. We talk about stuff in the water that we wouldn't talk about anywhere else and what, what happens in the water stays in the water. Like, that's, um, that's one of the blue-tip mottos.
5: And then it can be another few minutes again when people start saying, "Oh, it's a bit cold now, I'm getting out. And that's fine, that's all you need. You don't necessarily need to go off and swim.
3: So we all went right, into the I'm boat that we, were comfortable in. yeah. oh. we're we Each of us have our indicators <laughs> where we know to get out, so I tend to start feeling a bit warm or my hands will start to claw a little bit and that's when I'm like, OK, I'm done, and then I get out. So it's just getting to know your body on that level. To get the effects
5: of the cold water, I mean, the, to get that high... You don't need to stay in that long. So it isn't about staying in for, oh, I stayed in half an hour or I did that, unless you're training for something. And then we're coming out and now we're feeling amazing because our skin is glowing, our brains are really happy now because we know we've done the cold bit and we know we're about to have the warm towel and lovely clothes. You know, you take lovely big baggy clothes that you can wrap around yourself when you come out so you're all snug. When we do it in the winter, we come out. We, you perhaps wouldn't have so much talking now because everybody concentrates on getting dressed really quickly.
4: And then comes the cake ritual, the cake and the and the drink ritual.
5: So now we are going to go up to our HQ, uh, our Blue Tit offices, and have some coffee and cake. The
4: tea and the cake is definitely part of the ritual. <laughs> oh, <You don't laughs> cake The <laughs> knife. This could go horribly wrong. I'm going to lose the knife <laughs> in it. <laughs> I keep saying I'm going to bring a cake knife and I keep forgetting next time you turn up if you haven't got a cake knife with you I'm sending you home
3: cake is a big part of being a blue (laughs) chip. it feels like
2: is it just good because I haven't had it for a long
5: time no No, it's It's really amazing it's really really nice really good Mm -hmm. so the noises go from ah oh oh (laughs) they do don't they (laughs) We have. And then you have that lovely walk back to the car. Then you, as you're driving home, you, you just glow. You've done something that, that's a little bit scary, a little bit brave. I say to the girls, you know, you're athletes, you're extreme athletes, and they laugh. And they wonder when I said, you are. You, you really are doing something quite extreme. You're putting your near naked body into cold water. Be really pleased with yourself.
3: I think my definition of ritual is anything that is done with purpose that helps you get through life. I suffer with anxiety quite a lot and just getting in the water, that melts away. And it it will melt away for the whole day because I've done something scary and I've survived it. And something about doing that over and over again tricks my brain into thinking I can do that for everything. When I come up against a challenge, I approach it like I do the water. I think rituals help us to feel safe. I think deep down, we all like that sense of routine. We all have that need for a bit of sameness and knowing what's going to happen. And I think it just settles
4: our brains down a little bit, takes any anxiety away. And I think it's just comforting for
1: all of us. This podcast is part of Good Nature, Selfridges' ongoing exploration into the healing powers of nature and escapism. Tune in each week for more sonic journeys designed to help you escape, be inspired, and discover the joys of the natural world. And keep an eye on Selfridges.com to see the Good Nature concept grow through thought-provoking events and mood-boosting experiences. It was a Radio Wolfgang production and featured Doc Rowe, Asia Tan Jones, Gail Bainbridge, Debbie Cranmer, Liz Horhey, Jackie Jones, Sarah Mullis Richardson, and Sean Richardson. The producers were Holly Aquilina and Ivor Manley, and the executive producer was Ellie Martino.